Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast as I talk with a Marine Corps officer and retired FBI special agent who recruited spies. That's right. He served as chief of the counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. He went from recruiting spies to recruiting allies in business. He's an executive coach, best-selling author, and professional speaker who translates his expertise into his unique interpersonal communication strategies that focus on forging trust, solving challenges, and leading. This podcast will self-destruct in 30 minutes. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey. Work Positive Nation, help me welcome to today's episode, my new best friend, Robin Dreek. Robin, welcome to the Work Positive Podcast, man. Glad to have you on. Dr. Joy, I've been looking forward to it, and I'm excited as well, a little little daunted. We got some great, challenging questions coming up that we want to make sure we bring your audience some great answers to, so I'll do my best for you, I promise. (laughs) Buddy, your best will be more than good enough. I'm Uh, I'm sure of that. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Any man that used to go find spies, (laughs) you're you're bound to be able to bring something good. (laughs) Like everything in life, when it's your job and you have reps, it gets easier over time. It's not a big deal to anyone who does it. (laughs) So practice makes perfect, or at least gets you a little bit further down the path than you would have been, right? It's all about the reps. You know, as you're spending time raising horses, leading, coaching, mentoring, guiding. Right. No one's born knowing these things. We're mm-hmm. born pretty equal. Some differences in our brain chemistry and things like that. But for the most part, we're born with only one skill set for survival, and that's curiosity. It's what we do with that curiosity at an early age and develop the repetitions and mastery of the things we choose to do in life that gets us further. And so in order to do that, though, it requires patience and patience. And then when you're out of it, still more patience. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. My wife would say after 41 years of reps with me, grace. <laughs> right? That's a good one, too. Definitely grace. No yeah, doubt. A whole lot of forgiveness. So you used one of my favorite words there, Robin, curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it, it just seems to me that if we... As we embrace my friend, Dr. Bob Johansson's notion of full spectrum thinking, that is where we move beyond a a binary world and just remain curious about what is and presents itself to us. It seems like to me, things like developing a positive work culture get a whole lot easier because I come to you with respect. I come to you with love in my heart already. I want to get to know you because I want to get to know Robin Dreek. That's a cool thing. You're a podcaster. That's a cool thing about doing a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt. And and the key to that, and this is the most challenging thing for us as human beings have because part of our survival mechanism we're born with is we're born with an ego. Mm-hmm. And our ego gives us a great amount of strengths and a great amount of insecurities which get in our way because when we feel slighted when we feel someone's disrespecting us or even i get asked a lot so robin how can you how can you detect deception when someone's lying to you and i said Uh, think about just think about that if you're thinking in terms of oh someone's lying to me who's that about is it about you or is it about them instead of why don't we think in terms of 
what did I do to maybe inspire them to feel unsafe with me mm. that would cause them to have an untruth maybe in dealing with me, want to have an unhealthy relationship with me. In other words, mm. we own it. We own our behavior, our part of it. And instead of looking for deception, which is you're giving yourself a confirmation bias, because I guarantee you this, if you're looking for deception, you'll see deception and then you'll miss everything else. Mm -hmm. And so at the heart of curiosity and doing what we said, I give what's called a narrative answer. So it's really long. I apologize. You you come back center. And at the heart of curiosity is being present, as Eckhart Tolle talks about in The Power of Now, is you're Mm -hmm. present in the moment with the individual. In order to do that, you have to let go of your agenda. Mm -hmm. Do that homework. Do that great research you need to do before the engagement with this beautiful human being. But when you're in the moment, you got to let go. You got to be present. You have to hear their words, Mm. see them for who they are. And as my good friend, Jim Pyle wrote the conversation codex and all these books on interrogation says, approach every human being as if you're a six-year-old child going to elementary school for the first time. And you just have the wonder in your eyes of, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. What's that mean? So that's how we engage human beings and embrace that curiosity and thereby making great connections. And a six-year-old can do that so easily, but it seems like the more mature, and if you're listening, I'm using air quotes here, mature we become, for some reason, those confirmation biases just continue to show up and show up rooted in our experiences. And I get that because the limbic system or the cave person part of our brain says, hey, you got to keep yourself safe. We're here for fight or flight. Your survival is paramount. And of course, that gives expression in the ego that you're talking about. But one of the greatest gifts I've received in the last three years, that's right, since the pandemic started, is my granddaughter. And and it's just been this amazing learning experience from when I was holding her in my arms and she was basically sleeping and pooping. But now she's three and a half as we're recording this and it's, hey, Pops, let's do this. Pops, what's that? And so getting an opportunity to talk to her and, and hear her questions and that curiosity really prompts me to, okay, Joey, let, let's dial it back a little bit, make willingly suspend your disbelief, as William Blake, the poet said, and just make it a judgment-free zone and just embrace this, step up into it with curiosity and discover what this is. I was trying to teach her how to pick blueberries the other day and tell her the difference between which one's ripe and which one's not and things like this. She learned her own way. She went and grabbed a handful off there, including the unripe ones, tasted a few, this tastes terrible, spits it out, right? And then embraced. It's far more effective than me trying to say, now the ones that are purple and fall off in your hands, those are the ones you want. So the curiosity then motivates her, which prompts me to motivate. And I'm convinced that's how we create things like belonging. That's how we create a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's how we create the type of work culture that we want. So let's say, Robin, that we're coming to an interview. We're we're really wanting to attract top talent into our company. And we're working on our culture and we're doing our best to make sure it's a positive work culture. So I'm sitting down with someone for the first time. I've got certain biases already in mind because if it's a new position, then I may be insecure about what the position's about, things like that. If it's a previous position, somebody sat in that seat before and their story, their narrative is in my head. How do I remain curious and attract that top talent that's going to fit our culture best? 
I do two things that I try to focus on at all at all points. One, we have to maintain that mindset, that overarching, very subjective thing that is difficult to do until you get the mastery level. And that is just always thinking in terms of how can I make someone feel safe mm-hmm. with the decision to come here? How can I make how can I empower someone to feel safe to do anything? How can I feel make them feel safe to share with me, to align with me, to take this job? So having that for thinking in terms of what would that look like from their perspective, which is that deep empathy. Mm. And then I go to my bedrock four keys of communication as my anchor for everything I do. And these four keys that are statements that we can use either in person, virtually, text, I don't care what it is. It forces us to reverse the focus from ourselves and what our agenda is, which can get in the way because it'll give us that bias that we have. It'll get it out of the way for us. And it demonstrates to the other person, like you just said a few minutes ago, that you value them, that you see them, and that you're curious and you are deeply trying to be connected with them. And then their dopamine's released, serotonin, and then hopefully the oxytocin for the long term. So their brain is basically saying, this person is beautiful for me in my life, and this is it. You start by making sure you seek their thoughts and opinions instead of sharing yours. Hmm. Two, you speak in terms of their challenges, priorities, and pain points instead of sharing yours. Three, you validate them non-judgmentally with that deep curiosity, especially discovering their life arc. I love discovering the life arc. Hmm. The inspiration that helped them arrive at this point today where we're sharing this airspace together What was that spark that brought you along that path today that inspired you to want this job? Because once we discover that life arc and we're curious about that life arc without judging that life arc, that's a beautiful thing. In other words, you become that person that people love watching come through that door. And then finally, we empower them with choice about how they want to move forward. When you do each one of those four things, and you can even if you cascade them, it's even better, but at least one during every single sentence and statement you make, the entire mm-hmm. focus is shift from you to them. And they say, wow, this person sees me, they value me. And who wouldn't want to be part of that organization? Because you're giving people the most beautiful, powerful gift you can give anyone, the gift of presence. And their belonging is locked and loaded from the beginning, 100%. from the onset. And I also believe, Robin, that there's a certain sense of authenticity and transparency necessary to do exactly what you're talking about. And you're representing the culture of your company. So if it's like this in the interview process, wow. How do we though, let's say I get those four C's in a a communication, I get those nailed, those four keys. How do I then continue to embody that in our work culture? So that those behaviors that you're describing are a consistent part of us. You and I both know the scenario where, okay, let's say I get that right in the interview. It's it's like you're dating hard. Then you get married. Then what happens? I told you I loved you when we got married, that kind of thing. Right. But the culture starts falling apart. But keeping those four keys forefront in the work culture makes it positive and therefore reduces team turnover. How do we do that? It goes to a key fundamental thing I think is really important for people to realize, and that Mm. is we, as an individual, don't have all the answers. When I was in the FBI, yeah, I know. Can you believe it? (laughs) I was in the FBI and working in the world of counterintelligence. Yes, I was a spy recruiter. I recruited Russian intelligence officers, that whole nine yards. And and half of what we also did was protect, help companies protect themselves against insider threats, people that don't have the company's best interests at heart. And the, 
the, the amount of checklists and things people come up with to try to detect an insider threat, to try to create a work environment where people don't want to leave or don't want to do harm against country, if there was a checklist, mm-hmm. there wouldn't be any insider threats. There, no one would want to leave a company. So you can't have a checklist because you as an individual can't do it. You have to have what I term and Tasha Yurik, she wrote a great book called Insight. It's about the um, mindfulness and self-awareness and the science behind it. She has this thing I, I've called and and I my wife is mine. It sounds like your wife is yours as well. A loving critic. <laughs> loving critics are our sanity checks because yes. And I, like in when I walk out the door of my home with all the behavior stuff I do, I have a lot of reps. I have decades of reps of making it about everyone else but myself because I'm hardwired from my life arc to be very self-centered, gritty, resilient, self-reliant, type A, which is very me focused. But I have yeah. reps of realizing that's not the way to roll in life. You have to at least balance that dichotomy. And if mm. not, most of the time, balance it in the other direction towards others, especially as a leader. Mm. But we fall short when we engage, especially if we're emotionally attached to the outcome that we're seeking. We are not our best critics. That's why having someone safe that you can be organic and sincere with and mm. your own self with who can be your loving critic to say, hey, Dr. Joey, you're a little off on this one. Why don't you pull it back? Why don't you do this? Why don't you think about or consider this? And so if we have our own loving critic on our life, Grant had his. I just got done reading Ulysses S. Grant's book. So here's these great leaders that don't do it alone. And so inside a culture and organization, we can first we gotta model the behavior. We gotta know the behaviors we're trying to model by making it about others. And but then we need our own people that can keep us accountable when we fall short. Because you will. And if you yes. have a zero defect mentality, both for yourself <laughs> and those around you, you yeah. will fall short because no one can do it all the time. You fail short just as soon as you assume a zero defect mentality 100%. from yeah. the get-go. I refer to this loving critic as someone who cares enough about me. And yes, my wife is that person. And I could dazzle you with the story from this morning about <laughs> 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 that very thing. But, but that loving critic holds up the mirror and says, what... Do you see? Who do you see? Gary Ridge was CEO of WD-40 for a number of years. And if you go back and listen to my interview with him, he shares a story about a guy who was not at his best as he goes out of control in a meeting. And so Gary invites the guy out for coffee or something later. And Gary goes to the parking lot and he's looking under the car. He's raising the trunk lid, looking in the trunk and all this kind of stuff. And the guy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for you because that wasn't the you I know and love in that meeting in there. That's a loving critic, right? Yeah. And they asked those like you just demonstrated there and what we're both doing. They're asking those what questions. They're not Mm. saying you're horrible. You're a bad person. Mm -mm. No, they're just asking what, what are you doing there? What are, what were you trying to achieve? What are the things that you're hoping to get out of that meeting? All those things are asking those what questions and they do so with a loving velvet glove. And, but it's got to be based on a relationship based on trust and transparency, openness and honesty. And most importantly, you have to feel secure enough in yourself to have, be vulnerable and mm. realize that you can't pretend you can do it all because no one can and no one expects you to. And so the ability to inspire trust in others requires a great deal of openness, of communication, transparency, and vulnerability. And when you couple that with competence, mm. those are the behaviors you need to move forward. 
Oh, definitely. And in our coach positive coach training, we teach the several modules about the whole brain science of trust. And we could spend several podcast episodes talking about <laughs> that, right? Because you, you've written maybe a book about that. Far yes, before. the code of trust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do we give us one key to living out trust that is developing trust in our work relationships? I think we just articulate them very well. It's that having that open, honest communication, transparency, honesty, and being consistent is really key. One of the things I, I wrote about in sizing people up, which is how do you read trust in others? And trust, if you can put aside what we morally and ethically think, because a lot of times people will link morals and ethics to trust or liking someone to trust, which is a really bad one, because trust is really predictable behavior. Because when we can predict what someone's going to reasonably do in situations, because in order to predict that behavior, we have to really focus on them. We have to understand that life arc, how they make decisions, how they, what their best things they bring to the table are, what their challenges in life are, so we can understand the decision-making process. So we can reasonably predict how they're going to perform, because then we can expect a certain thing from the relationship, expect a, per, a certain outcome. And if they exceed it, that's fantastic. If they fall short of it, now since we know them so well, we know something might have gone a little sideways. So it's a touch point we need to see. We need to be there for them to overcome it. Mm -hmm. And so predictability in it helps us forge that trust. But most importantly, it makes us feel safe. That is the bedrock of trust is a feeling of safety because when we feel safe, we trust. Human beings are exceptionally predictable. All of us at all times, we can each predict what all of us are going to do it all the time. That is, we're always going to act in our own best interests in terms of our safety, security, and prosperity for our, ourselves and those we care about in our lives. Our job as individuals is, is to understand what that other person thinks that is from their perspective. Mm. When you can do that and not judge what they think that is, that makes people feel safe. So it's that willing suspension of disbelief again, right? Yeah. It's got to be that judgment-free zone. And then, man, how do I get out of my own way? Because that's really what we're talking about here. We're yeah. talking about a culture that allows people to get out of their way. How do we, in a positive work culture, how do we create the safety necessary for me to get out of my way, release my need to judge others, and just receive them? You got to be a very attuned to your impact on others to start with. And as we were talking about before, there's no right or wrong. There just is. Yeah. And if you want to create an environment where people feel safe, you got to stop judging them, both verbally and non-verbally. You need congruence between the words you're saying and using those four keys of communication, like you said, and, and feeling it in here, because that congruence makes people feel safe. And in, in order to get out of our own way and suspend that ego, you just get curious. As Brene Brown talks about in Braving the Wilderness, she goes, if you don't understand someone, good, get closer. <laughs> but it's because you just don't have that context. That's the whole walk a mile in my shoes and see what kind of choice and decisions you would make. But you can't walk a mile in someone else's shoes until you take your shoes off. Mm. Um, otherwise, you get blisters from two pairs of shoes. Uh, <laughs> so, I know it's a lot of parables and analogies in there, but it really yeah. comes down to letting go and getting deeply curious and understanding that your morals, ethics, and beliefs don't have to be right or wrong. They just are yours. What are mm. theirs? Because it helps rule their decision-making process, which is neither right or wrong either. To them, it's the most important thing in the world. And I think part of it also is always understanding that for the amount of time, effort, and energy you've put into who you are, to your thoughtful process and decision-making and what you're doing, mm -hmm. 
don't disregard other people are doing exactly the same thing because they are too. So discover what that is and that process is. So that way it's a lot easier to align those strengths together. Hmm. Cause we're all at the end of the day, just trying to figure it out. Yeah, we are. And everyone's doing the best they can. And no one's intentionally doing anything to you. They're just being who they are. And so we tend to take these things really personally hmm. when nothing's really meant personally. It's just people are reacting to the world around you. And it goes to Jocko Link and Leif Babin's great book, Extreme Ownership is you just got to own it. What was your role in impacting their behavior because you can't change your behavior. All you can do is you, as we're preaching to choir on this one, I know you've had it this millions of times, but really that's it. Yeah. But what's that look like and what's that mean? If mm. someone's not making a decision you want, what did you do to not make them feel safe with that decision? Mm. Again, owning it. Now, granted, it could be stuff that's going sideways in their lives because no one's perfect, and that's fine. Sure. sure. But sure. only focus on you in, in those moments so that you can let go and be there for them. And we truly are ignorant of what's going on in somebody's life as they're trying to figure it out until we get close enough to discover, hey, here's what's going on. You know, maybe that's got Dr. Joey a little off, off center, a little out of focus, right? And mm -hmm. so just understanding that. Robin Dreek is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. What's a website we can go to, Robin, as we're listening to the rest of this podcast? Sure. It's uh, really simple. Peopleformula.com. All one word, peopleformula.com. On there, there's links to my YouTube channel, my podcast, Forged by Trust, my books, my resources, lots of free resources, Sweet. articles I've written, just as I call it, Death by Robin. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who want more Robin, right? <laughs> it seems to me that, that we're describing what my friend Mitchell Levy would talk about as credibility here. And integrity is a necessary part of credibility, right? That there's an internal integrity. That is, I understand who I am and I'm internally consistent with who I am. And then there's that external integrity, as Mitchell likes to talk about. That is where I do what I say I'm going to do. And that creates the trust and the safety that you're talking about in this. What are some challenges? And I'm and of course, we all have our own notions. But what are some challenges that you see to creating that safe, trust-based work culture? It's a great question. I thought about this one a while. And I, again, I keep referencing all these different gr great thought leaders out there. Sure. And I think the pandemic really highlighted this for me in my family. And one of the one of the things that stands in our way of this is many groups, organizations, and institutions, military or civilian, have things called standard operating procedures, the SOP, mm. how to do things. <laughs> and those are great rules, processes, and guidelines. And a lot of times, though, when crisis and chaos happens, that's only a starting point. It's not going to be the ending point. When things are calm... And we know that things are not calm 100% of the time. The SOP mm -hmm. is perfect for when things are calm. But when things aren't calm and chaos erupts, what undermines our credibility is when we focus then on the process and we forget the people. And so the SOP gets us to that starting point. But then we have to consider the reality of now, the new situation of chaos, because as I said to my son, who was at the Naval Academy during COVID, when all these organizations I work with are trying to stay stovepiped in their SOP, I said, there's no SOP for chaos, man. Uh -uh, no. no one was anticipating COVID hitting. What's the number one priority? Mission and people. 
simultaneous mission first people are always that's what gives that credibility so when you're always focused on the people you use the sop as the guiding light but if we got to deviate for the people then we're going to make a new sop as we go and we forge forward to innovate which we can only do when we feel safe and so i think that is the biggest hindrance is when we rely on the script we were given mm. without understanding the why again only overarching why as simon sinek says then the sure. what and the how is the sop but understanding that overarching what's the mission and then what are we going to do to forge forward on that? Because the SOP is, wasn't designed for that. So I think that's where we build up that credibility is the ability to innovate and deviate when it, when we need to do what? Take care of the people to make them feel safe so they can innovate and solve the problem. Mm, yeah. And it's people first every time. It's mission driven, but it's people first every time because it's 100%. people get, getting the work done. In a VUCA world... <laughs> I'm not even sure we can establish SOPs that last more than a brief season, right? Right. Because the ground is shifting under us. We're seeing a great example of what you're talking about challenges. Um, do we make everybody come back to the office? Do we <laughs> leave everybody where they went during the pandemic? Or do we say, okay, you got to come in two days a week and group A, you're going to come in Tuesday, Thursdays and group B, you're going to come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The, the ground has shifted again because the urgency that was around the pandemic, which made us all stay home, it's seemingly over. And yet, what were the great lessons that we learned? So how do we objectify that without subjectifying it? Because it's gotten really personal. Just the other day, I was having this conversation with our older daughter who's been working remote, not distant, as my friend Gustavo Rosetti would say, for years before the pandemic, um, even Zoom, and we're recording this on Zoom, even Zoom is now requiring some of their people to come in to the home HQ at least part of the time. It just seems to me that they're constantly changing in this VUCA world. So I guess the question becomes in terms of identifying a positive work culture and some metrics in that how do we develop SOPs in a VUCA world? I think the only thing it can really do is a science experiment. Every, everything we do in life, every company, every organization, every culture is very different. Yes. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And the relationships in, in one company and culture, even if they're doing exactly the same thing, might be more mature, might be further down the path than another culture, might be in a different part of the country, different part of the world. So mm -hmm. they can have reps in one thing that are comfortable, not comfortable. So I really think that the solution is create solution, which is you just mm -hmm. do a science experiment. And, and part of that is you can't be coy about it. You can't be elusive about it. You got to share it with your people. Say, listen, we don't have the answer. Right. There's a lot of options out there. Dr. Joey, you're going to one option. Fred, you're going to hate this option. But you know what? <laughs> we together need to be able to move forward productively, successfully, and most importantly, healthily for you. A lot of the reasons why people are in and out of the office because they're starting to realize mental health is taking a massive hit when we're not interacting. Mm. Zoom can do a lot for us, but it can give us the power of touch. Right. <laughs> it can't give yeah. the power of proximity yeah. with another human being, which are genetically and biologically coded to need. Absolutely. And I think when, we, others. when a great leading organization can create a science experiment, they say, listen, we're going to try a few different things. Here's mm. the sequence of what we're going to try. Then we're going to assess 
what was good for every different situation. If it's not good over here. So in other words, it takes energy, takes time, it takes patience, and also takes trust. And trust only happens when what you're like we said earlier, you're open, you're transparent, you're vulnerable, and you're willing to make changes. Yeah, exactly. I love the authenticity and transparency of that because we don't have all the answers was the first thing you said. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Those are tough and questions. If if we can just get to that baseline to relieve leadership of the burden of thinking that they have to have all the answers and, and to deliver them from on high to the rest of us and create this collaborative environment, that in itself, that science experiment creates a positive work culture, right? Yeah, the, there's only a few certain things in life, death, birth, and the movement of time. Neither of those things we can control. And yep. when time the moves forward, I get, the faster time flies. I don't know. Yeah, it it's, <laughs> changes every day. It, uh, the only thing that is is now. Yeah. And if now is okay, then we can only project a little bit of what we may be able to do. We learn a little bit from yesterday. Learn a little bit of what we're going to do, implement tomorrow. But just right. live in the now and just work the problem, and just realize it's going to change. If you fight change, you're doomed. You and are. also, technology is another part of this. Mm-hmm. When Companies and organizations, individuals hit a downfall, I think, and and they hit some rock bottom a lot of times when they become reliant upon and they try to use it as a crutch rather than a collaborative tool. I, If you engage technology that's emerging, especially like ChatGBT and AI and all the things that have become really great resources, if you learn how to collaborate as if it was a person in, mm. in the skill set and things rather than as a crutch that you can just dump everything on. Because if you dump yep. everything on anyone or anything, it collapses. Every so time. that's part of the thing that we're dealing with in society right now as well. Yeah, exactly. We're all looking for a, play, a receptacle. <laughs> right. <laughs> People want it. things to be easy. Progress is not easy. Progress takes work and it takes those reps and it takes it's patience. Messy. It's chaotic. It's a VUCA world. Robin Drink is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Okay, you got these three books and you've written a fourth one. I know it's like asking you to choose between your kids, but if I'm new to Robin Drake, which book am I going to start with? I start where I started. Start at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What's the title of that book? So the first book is my first self-published book back written back in 2010 when I was still at the FBI Academy Training Counterintelligence Advanced Operations it's called It's Not All About Me, The Top 10 Techniques for Quick Rapport with Anyone. And so it gives a great overview of where I was at back in when I was, let's see, 2010-11, back when I was still probably three quarters of the way through my career or mm-hmm. f- further. And it's just, it's what all relationships start. It all starts with a great dialogue, a great conversation. How do you focus that shift from yourself to others? And it's a starting point to all things that come after. And that book title and a link to it on Amazon are in the show notes. So if you're walking the dog or the Peloton, I would say the cat for those who are cat lovers. But I would say you could be walking the horse, right? It's there for you as you're listening. All right. So Robin, Work Positive Nation always wants to know from my guest, What's one thing, man, what's one thing Work Positive Nation can do today to start creating a positive work culture right where they are? Learn how to let go, focus on others, let go of that ego and vanity and be curious. And most importantly for anyone out there, I want to make sure that I get this into, make sure you hit, make sure you hit subscribe and share the episode with others and get that out there as well, because Dr. Joey puts a lot of time and effort on these things, but Focus on the four keys of communication to make it about others and get that focus off yourself and be that inspirational leader to others that they need. Hmm. 
I'm loving it. Thank you so much, Robin Drake, for the wisdom you've given us today. I know Work Positive Nation is better because of this conversation. And I'm better too. So peopleformula.com is a website you want to go to right now. That's also in the show notes. Robin, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you very much, Dr. Joy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free Work Positive course just for listening. It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.